Usher, then you know my sermon title today. That's so awesome. Thank you guys so much. They, they just kind of pulled that out this morning. I was like, man, it'd be cool. And so I text Shelly and I was like, can you learn that bass riff if, 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 if you have time? And the, but the whole band decided to get in on it. Love this guy. I love these guys. They're awesome. Under pressure, under pressure, this, this message is going to be good because some of y'all didn't just ask what to do when I, I feel overwhelmed, but some of y'all said that you're feeling pressure, you're feeling stress, and it's going to be good for you guys this morning. And if that's you this morning, I believe it's going to bless you and it's going to help you. And if that's not you, just go ahead and lower your standards, <laughs> right? Just go ahead and lower your standards. If you lower your standards, you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. Um, amen. My hope is that this will help you today and comfort you today, but I also want to challenge you today. I want to give you some things that, that challenge you and, and make you think. Before we get into our text, I kind of want to set this up this morning because a lot of today is going to be talking about the different pressures, the, where, where the pressures are coming from, and, and kind of before I answer the question, what do I do when I feel overwhelmed, we, we need to really talk about what that means. And this whole thing about being overwhelmed, there's a great temptation that I've seen in church to take certain topics and certain things, and, and, and they, they treat them as unimportant, or they ignore them, or, or they treat them as like taboo for Christians to talk about. And a couple of, of examples is like anxiety, or stress, or doubt, or fear, and, and uh, being overwhelmed is one of those things. We treat these topics like maybe they're beneath us, or that it's stuff that we shouldn't deal with because we're Christians. And what I've found that that accomplishes is that people find themselves dealing with these issues and they pretend to be okay, but they're really not because they don't know what to do. And the truth is, is that God's given us a bunch of things in his word to defeat these things and to have the victory. Amen. Things come up. These things come up and they're scriptures that deal with it. And then I think about the fact that this was one of the most requested topics in our church. That tells me that there are people right now, today, in this place that is dealing with this. So while, what I want to do is I want to take some of the things from the Bible, the concepts from the Bible, and I want to make them practical for you. It does no good to know that there's things that we can do but not know how to do them, right? Um, and, and I think that, that people deal with being overwhelmed and, and they don't tell nobody or they don't ask for help because they're, they're seen, they, they, they feel like they're going to be judged. You're a Christian. You shouldn't be dealing with this stuff. And they, they feel like it's going to make them seem weak. Now, I can honestly say that in all my years of, of being a pastor and being a, in ministry and being a Christian, I've never met a person that has fallen away from God because they just wanted to be a sinner. But what I have seen is that people deal with stuff. People deal with things, and they deal with it so much, and maybe they don't, at some point, they don't know what to do, and, and, and it gets so taxing on them that they give up. And I can tell you this morning, hope this encourages some people, God is not overwhelmed when you are. Amen? Man. Okay, I'm going to get to our text this morning. 
But okay, so a, a few weeks ago, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute. A few weeks ago, we talked about the prophet Elisha, and I talked about how um, he, he gave some advice to a king who was facing pressure on every side, right? Y'all remember that? Um, he, he was facing, I had the bow and arrow up here, and, and there were people trying to tempt me to shoot it through the wall into the office, but I would have hit my computer that I use. Anyway, um, and Elisha himself knew about pressure. He knew about being overwhelmed. He knew about facing trouble from all sides. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, we see a story. And it, what exactly that looks like for Elisha and his servant to be overwhelmed. They're surrounded by enemies. And I want to tell you that the reason why they were surrounded by enemies is because Elisha was a threat. And so what I feel like God wants me to tell you this morning is that when someone is a threat to the enemy, there will often be an attack against them and an attempt to, to decrease their effectiveness. Let that sink in for a minute. You should be getting really excited right now because if you're here in this place and you're feeling overwhelmed, you filled out one of these cards, you're feeling pressure, what if today, what if you're feeling overwhelmed because it... You're a threat. But oftentimes we believe this, this, this idea and this lie that we're overwhelmed only because we're weak. Okay, I got to behave. I got to get, my, my sermon is not even about Elisha. <laughs> it's not even about 2 Kings, right? Um, my, my text today, if you want to follow along, it's a fairly big block of scripture, so y'all just kind of bear with me, but it's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 5. I wanted to read this whole thing, but you know, you got to pick and choose. Um, starting verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile, fragile, what? <laughs> fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Here's where Paul starts to help me preach this morning. Verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down or persecuted, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies, so we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. Let's, let's go ahead. Let's skip down to verse uh, 16. Listen to this. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Listen to this next part. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last 
forever. Can we just have a moment of silence for the pressure and the things that's trying to overwhelm you this morning? Because Paul just slayed them, you know? So, so Paul's saying that the troubles are not going to last long, but there's a point to it. And Paul, here's what Paul's doing in this. He's offering us a glimpse into his life, into his feelings, into who Paul is, the life of Paul, how he feels, how he thinks. And we read about Paul in, in the book of Acts, right? We, we can read about his story. We can read about things that he's gone through and stuff like that. But that's somebody writing about Paul and what Paul did. But this is Paul describing how he has felt and how he feels at times. And the two are very different because sometimes people can make things seem easy that aren't. You know what I'm talking about? You, you know people like that? My wife's like that. Um, she stayed at home with, at, at that point, our son, and then over the summer, she's had to stay at home with both of our kids, and she made it look so easy. And so when I started going back to school, uh, we, we decided that it would probably be better for her to go back to work and let us stay home, save some money, let me stay home, save some money because she made more money than I did. I'm not scared to admit that. I was a painter. She's a teacher. She brings home the bacon. And so rather than spending all this money on daycare and letting other people raise our kids, we decided, why don't I stay home? And I can tell you that I watched my wife do this every day, but now that I'm doing it, how many of y'all know that when 3.30 hits, I'm like, yes, <laughs> come on, but I'm, I'm painfully aware at how long the drive is for her to get to our house, because I'm ready, I'm ready, and since y'all asked for parenting advice from my vast vault of knowledge, um, I'm going to give you some advice and, and tell you a little bit of a story. And actually, this is kind of life advice, but it does have to do with kids and stuff like that. Um, a pastor that, that pastors a big church, and, and he's kind of like a, uh, I, I look up to him a lot and, and listen to kind of the stuff he does. He does a lot of teaching on, on um, how to deal with, my voice cracked, wow. How to deal with uh, the thing, the pressures of being a pastor and, and, and certain things. And he has a bunch of leadership stuff. And one of the things that he said is when he was first getting started, he had a mentor. And he went to that mentor and he, he was like, hey, what's one of the most important things that you can do? And the mentor looked at him and he goes, manage the pressure. Manage the pressure because he's like, oftentimes pastors don't have great failures because they're just great sinners. They have great failures because the pressure got to them. And somewhere along the way, they let down their guard and they, they let the pressure come in and it got to them. And he goes, I'll tell you a way that I manage the pressure. I play. And he's like, I have kids and I have family and dogs. I like to play. And, and, and y'all heard me correctly. I didn't say pray. He's like, I do that. He's like, I have a strong relationship with God. But I manage the pressure with my kids because my kids bring levity into my life. And it started making me think of, of, of me and Judah. Judah's at that age to where I can play with them and wrestle with them and fight with them. But I got to be careful because um, like Judah takes it out on Miss Kathy now, right? Um, we come here and, and she tells me every Sunday that he's like, we had to kind of 
calm him down a little bit. He got a little bit rough, and she's like, it's okay for me, but he, at some point, had some other kids in the headlock, and he had Miss Debbie by her hair, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, this is my, but you know, you, you know how you do. You're like, oh, that's so weird, but you're really thinking, I'm like, I've done that to him. You know, I've had him in the headlock, and, and, and so I, I, I've started being careful. I've started being careful with how I fight with Judah, right? And, and lately, Judah's been wanting to practice wrestling moves. I think we all go through that, where he, he, what he does is he goes, Daddy, will you lay down on the bed? And what that means is, once you lay down on your stomach, and then I want to jump on your spine until it's time to go to bed, Right? <laughs> And so he wants to practice those wrestling moves, and Rachel will come, sometimes she'll be sitting there, she'll be rocking Lila to sleep, and she'll look at him and go, she'll be like, Judah, stop jumping on daddy. I'm like, shut up, woman. I'm like, he's not hurting me. I don't say shut up. How many of y'all know Rachel would look me down? If I, okay, so um, she'd jump on my, my spine. Um, but, but I'll be like, no, he's fine, you know, but I'm giving her the, the look and the, the nod, you know. You know, that, that guy, it's like, no, he's fine. And there's two different ones. And she's learned to, to translate what this means. I just spit in the front row. I'm so sorry, Pastor Brad. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> she's learned to translate my nods and my winks because she knows that there's a nod and a wink that has panic behind it. Like, okay, Judah just jumped on my spine and my right leg's numb. Get him off of me. <laughs> But don't make me look weak because I don't want him to be like, hey, daddy, I can't, I can't even play with daddy. So, so she, she steps in sometimes, but then there's the wink and the nod that's like, no, we're fine. Let him jump on me. Let us play. Just get me four Advil and some Tiger Balm, and, and we'll be fine. And, and sometimes, though, when Rachel stops him, he's got these excuses, right? Um, he, he's never just like, I'm sorry, daddy. He's always like, mommy. I just jumped up in the air, and Daddy got in the way. You know, it's kind of like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna swing my fist, and if you get in the way, you get hit. And sometimes he does that. And here's another one that he does. He'll he'll go, I just did not jump far enough and landed on Daddy, right? And it's like, well, your knee sure did feel like you weren't trying to jump over me. Um, and my favorite is he, he leans down, and y'all have heard my son. Everybody's heard my son. Might even be able to hear him now. Um, my son has this sweet little voice, and it's so country. It, it, like everything he has has a Y or a W in it, right, because he's so country. And uh, he, he gets down, and he, he'll get down right in my ear, and he'll go, Daddy, are you old? And I'm like, get, get off me. I'm, you're going to bed. You're going to bed. You're not going to eat. Um, or or my, one of my favorites, he said this to me the other day. He goes, Daddy, are you laughing or are you crying? <laughs> There's a point to this. What I'm trying to say is my kids help me manage pressure in my life. My kids bring great levity to my life. If you watch me on Sunday mornings, oftentimes I'm toting around my, my little girl because she, I don't know why, she just calms me. Like I had her all morning today because sometimes when you're getting ready to preach, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to go wrong? And, and so I, I bring her with me because so, she calms me and my kids calm me. Um, and, and what we see is 
Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he's experiencing pressure from all sides. He says, I'm pressed from all sides. Let's, let's kind of look back over what he says, because maybe you're like Paul here, and maybe you're not experiencing the same type of pressure, because I believe that pressure is relative, right? And just to go back to talking about kids for, for a second, I'm back in school. I mentioned that, and, and you know, obviously, at some point, almost three years ago, my son will be three in five days. That is crazy to me. I don't look old enough to have a three-year-old, right? Um, but I remember when we were leaving from the hospital and it clicked with me that I'm, I'm a dad now. Like, I can't be like, this kid's not sleeping. Take him to the nursery so we can have some sleep. Or um, this kid is dirty and I need one of the nurses to come in and, and change a diaper or give him a bath or, or something like that. And, and I remember it clicked with me. And so I started trying to research. I wanted to be the best parent that I can be. And then in school, I actually took a psychology class. And one uh, for several weeks, we studied on, on child psychology and some of the things that they go through. And I wanted to understand why they do certain things, right? I don't know that I'm there yet. But um, one of the things that I learned is the different reasons for them crying. A lot of the times we often associate a baby crying with them trying to communicate something with us. And yes, that's true. But a lot of the time they're crying because what they're going through in that moment is the worst thing that they've ever gone through up to that point. Because they have no reference, right? The first time they're hungry, the first time they go to the bathroom, the, the, the first time they take a bath, they're going crazy because this is the worst thing that they've experienced. And they haven't had years of knowing that when they're hungry, they're going to get fed. We're going to make them make sure that they get fed. And they need us. They're, they're telling us, I'm going through something, and I need y'all to let me know that it's going to be okay. Um, and that's why Lila, when she wakes up from her nap, because here's, here's what Lila does. She eats, she lays on the bed for a couple minutes or the floor, because she can't walk, um, obviously. Um, she lays there, she laughs at me a couple of times, and she tells me she's ready to get up and be held. I hold her, she falls asleep, and it starts all over again. But when she wakes up, she doesn't cry anymore to let me know she's hungry. She just wakes up and looks up at me because she knows what's next. She knows that I'm going to feed her now that she's hungry. Now, every once in a while, you hear her do this, like, little quack thing um, where she's letting me know that I'm not getting that bottle ready fast enough. <laughs> she'll, she'll be like, ah. It's not really a cry. It really does sound like a dog. Ah. And I'm like, okay, stop cussing. Ch chill out for a minute, you know. Um, but... She doesn't really cry anymore to let me know she's hungry because she knows that we're going to feed her. And Judah's the same way. Um, he doesn't cry anymore to let us know that he needs something because now he knows that if he tells us, we'll do it. Um, and the things that were once pressure to them is now something that, that's far from it now. Does that make sense? Come on, somebody who's felt some pressure. But then, but then they've seen that they were overwhelmed, but at, at some point, God's power and his faithfulness was greater than that pressure. We sung about that this morning, the, the overwhelming love of God. It's, it's amazing. And Paul says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. 
A few weeks ago, I mentioned that we have to focus the fight because if we focus the fight, there's a greater chance that we can stand up under it. And it reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in, in Avengers Infinity War. It's one of my favorite movies, right? And if you haven't seen it, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. This, this scene was in the trailers, but let's just be honest. If you haven't seen it by now, get out from under the rock and let's go see it, okay? Um, but they're, they're fighting the enemy, the enemy army, and they're in Wakanda, and they've got this big force field, and the enemy's trying to break through the force field. And at one point, one of the characters says, if they get through, we're going to be surrounded. So they decide to open up one little hole in the force field so they can funnel the army straight to them so that they can take care of them. But Paul says that he was pressed on every side. Now, this is the Paul that was shipwrecked in Malta. That, that went through the same storm the, on the same boat that was falling apart with the sailors and the prisoners that thought they were going to die. And Luke tells us in Acts that Paul stood up and he encouraged the men, hey, hey men, we're going to be okay. I've seen a revelation. I know that I'm going to Rome, and so I know that we're going to be okay. And he encouraged them. In the same storm, Paul encourages the men, we're going to be okay. Then Paul took on a viper and the viper bit him, and he just shook it off into the fire like nothing had happened, right? And, and, and like suffered no ill effects. And then he healed the people of Malta, and he ministered to the people of Malta. And then using the people of Malta, the, the, in Acts it says that God supplied all of his needs and sent him to Rome. Now Luke's telling us a part of the story, and we're seeing one side of it. And, and it looks like it was easy, and it looks like it was like Paul's just a super guy. And Paul is saying, no, 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 it didn't feel that easy on the inside. He's saying what Luke is writing about me was what I did, but Paul is going to tell us how he feels. I was so pressed, and it felt like it was coming from everywhere, and I could not find relief, but I was not crushed. You're pressed everywhere, but you were not crushed. And they have these sayings. And I, I remember seeing them on bumper stickers and seeing them in, in different places. And, and it's these sayings that it's meant to encourage people that feels overwhelmed and feels like stuff's against them and feels immense pressure. And, and one of those sayings is that pressure makes diamonds. Have you heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Yeah, pressure makes diamonds, and that's true. Pressure does make diamonds. But I want to tell you that pressure also can, like, down planes. And pressure, pressure can injure divers. And pressure, one of my biggest fears is watching space movies and the astronauts fly out into space because you know that you're like, oh, dang, they're going to feel great pressure. Real encouraging in church today, I know. I know. Um, but I, I, I want to set this up for you. I want you to understand pressure makes diamonds, but it also makes dumb decisions. Pressure, pressure makes diamonds, but it also makes divorces. It makes diamonds, but it, it also makes hopelessness. Pressure makes diamonds, but it also makes you the proud owner of a timeshare, Right? <laughs> Right? Come on, somebody who just wanted to do it for the $99 vacation on a private island for two weeks. Right? It always sounds too good to be true. There's 90 minutes. But the, these people sold you the island, you know? Um, pressure makes diamonds, but it makes addictions. But thankfully, there were some people that filled out an index card 
what do I do when I feel overwhelmed? Listen to Paul remind us that you're under pressure, but you're not crushed. Or Elisha, what he was telling his servant, where we look overwhelmed, but what I want to tell you is we're not outnumbered. We're not outnumbered. Um, And there's a point that Paul's trying to make. The pressure points to something. Amen? Let's read it again because I think that God does not always want to take away the pressure. I read the story about Paul and God could have calmed the storm, but he didn't. He shipwrecked him on Malta. And I read about Paul and he doesn't say that God took away the pressure. And sometimes I believe that God doesn't take away the pressure. He gives us the strength to stand under it. He, he makes it so we're not crushed, but the pressure is still there. And, and sometimes I think that that can be a little bit more overwhelming. Because you pray, God, please take away the pressure. God, please take away the pressure. And sometimes he doesn't. And now you wonder what's wrong with you and God. God does not always take away the pressure. And Paul answers this. There's a point to the pressure. Maybe that's you and you've come to the point Paul is talking about in verse 10. If you'll put verse 10 up there, guys. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Paul is saying that I've felt pressure to the point to where sometimes it feels like I'm dying in the same death that Jesus died. My body is crushed. My body is feeling this. I feel like I'm hard-pressed on all sides, but I'm not crushed. And as I was reading this and as I was studying and thinking about it and praying about it, I started thinking that if Paul is saying that I am not crushed, then one has to assume that the pressure is crushing. Because Paul wouldn't say that, hey, I'm not crushed. If it wasn't great pressure, there's no need for it. It's redundant. Paul's saying, I'm feeling great pressure, but I'm not crushed. Come on, help me preach this morning. I've seen people crushed because they read verses like this and they shout about how they will not be crushed. However, they didn't know what to do when the pressure hit. They spent time believing that they would not be crushed but never figure out what to do when the pressure came. If you don't know what to do when the pressure comes, it'll be crushing because it's pressure. That's what pressure does. I am pressed but not crushed. That's physical. I am perplexed mental pressure but not in despair. Persecuted pressure from people. Come on, somebody. That's another sermon, right? Pressure from people but not abandoned, knocked down, but not destroyed. And I'm reading these things. I'm reading what Paul's saying in, in 2 Corinthians, and I see a contrast. And the contrast is of what is pushing on Paul compared to what is pushing in Paul. The pressure is trying to point to something. It's always pointing to something. The text says that we have this great power and great treasure. Did y'all read that? We have this great power and great treasure, and we are the vessels that carry the power. But what does Paul say that vessel is made of? Put put verse 7 back on the screen for me, guys. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, come on, read it with me. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars. 
containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that out of our great, that our great power is from God, not of ourselves. We are fragile clay. Talk to your neighbor this morning and tell him you're fragile. You're fragile. Encourage him. <laughs> right? You're fragile. I'm going somewhere with this, guys. Bear with me. God wants me to tell you this morning that you're breaking because you're carrying the cross that is no longer yours to carry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're carrying the burden that's no longer yours to carry. The fragile vessel is carrying the load that the power and the treasure has already carried for you. Give God praise this morning because he carried the weight that you are not strong enough to carry anymore so that you don't have to. But there's a lot of people. What do I do when I feel overwhelmed? You start to feel the pressure, and then all of a sudden, this is a whole different type of pressure. You start to feel the pressure, and all of a sudden, there's this need to perform. And it's kind of what I talked about earlier when we, when we try to ignore it, when we try to ignore the pressure and try to ignore being overwhelmed. Uh, we, we're taught that we shouldn't deal with certain things. But what happens when we do? What then? What then? They feel the need to project standards that has nothing to do with your purpose and your calling. You feel that pressure. You feel the pressure, the pressure to perform and, and project a sense of a person who is not overwhelmed inside, but they're cracking under the weight of a standard that God never placed on you. The standard is, never, is not never pressed. If we go back and read that, Paul doesn't say, I'm never pressed. He says, I'm pressed from all sides. The standard is, I'm never crushed. I hope you're writing this down because I can't say all that again. I'll mess it up. <laughs> um, another type of pressure, and I've preached about this a couple of times before here in different places when I'm like kind of going to different churches or doing events or stuff like that. I've preached about this thing called the gap. And some of my best messages, some of my favorite messages were about this thing called the gap. And what is the gap? The gap is the gap that is formed by where you are now and where you want to be. And then there's another gap, the second gap, and this is the gap that I don't feel like is focused on a lot. It's the gap of where you are compared to where you used to be. But I was writing this down, and I started seeing there's a third gap. There's a, there's a third gap. It's a, it's a silent gap. It's a quiet gap. It's a gap that sneaks up. It sneaks up on us. It sneaks up on me from time to time, and I, I named that one the pressure gap. The pressure gap. It's the gap between who I think I need to be and who I believe that I really am. If you were here this Wednesday, Pastor Brad, dude, he brought a good word about your thoughts and, and who you believe you are and, and taking those thoughts captive. And, and, and I remember sitting here thinking, I'm like, who I am, but who I think I need to be. When you feel the need to be something that you feel like you are not, the pressure is crushing. Amen? That's the third gap. The first gap produces growth, right? It, it, it encourages growth because you're looking at the gap and where you want to be, and it, it can give you a vision. It can give you a purpose because I want to be there. So it produces growth. And the second gap produces, produces gratitude because you can look back and you can say, I may not be here yet, but I'm not there anymore. But the third gap is pressure. The, the pressure 
to be a good spouse, but you know that that's going to take changing some stuff in you that maybe you're not ready to change, so instead you pretend to other people that you're a good spouse or you're a good parent. <laughs> um, I'm not supposed to be overwhelmed, but I am, so I pretend that I'm not so that nobody will think that I'm weak because we're going to church. I can't come to church looking like I'm overwhelmed. I can't come to church. God forbid I come and fill out a Yaffe card about being overwhelmed because I don't want anybody to know. Um, or what about this? This is one that I do. Uh, um, I, I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll share my dysfunction with you for a minute. Um, what about when you project pressure from other people? Pressure that, 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 that's not really there. Like, think about it this way. What if you put thought bubbles on somebody that's not there? You know, ideas that's not there, things that, that's not there. And I'll give you an example of that. I am a natural worrier. Um, and I'm not talking about like, hey, I get sick and all of a sudden I'm scared that I've got cancer or, or, or that I'm worried about money or stuff like that. I've seen God be too faithful too many times to worry about that kind of stuff. But what I'm talking about is when I used to paint and I get to the job site and all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed by all the stuff that could go wrong that probably won't. But it could go wrong, and, and, and it used to drive my friend crazy. I worked with my friend. We've been friends for like 20 years now, and, and we worked together, and it used to drive him crazy because he is not a natural worrier. He's not a planner. He, he's just get there. Let's see what happens, right? Um, uh, and, and so my son's like this, and it's absolutely terrifying to me because I'm, I'm the planner. I'm the everything's got to work out like this. And my greatest stress comes from when it don't start working out like that. And uh, he, he used to tell me, he's like, dude, just go walk around and like, just chill out. Take a deep breath. The walls, may, it might fall down, but it's probably not. You know? But I'm a natural worrier. This is one thing that um, I, I used to deal with when I was a youth pastor is I felt this great pressure because I was a pastor. And so when I would deal with things, I wouldn't ever call anybody and say, hey, man, I need some prayer. I need some help. And what actually happened is when I, when I took a break and, and stepped out of ministry for a little bit to just rest and have kids and, and stuff like that, I was really, I found that I really felt alone. And I, I really felt like I was in this corner doing life by myself because I didn't want anybody to know that I was overwhelmed. I didn't want anybody to know that I needed help because I felt like it would mess up my image that I had projected. Come on, somebody. The image that I had projected uh, of who I was and, and really who I was was not living up to that, but I was projecting it good. And I reminded myself and I told myself when I took that break that never again would I try to project something that God had not called me to be. Amen. Pressed, but not crushed. I hope this is helping somebody this morning. Band, if you would, come on up and play as, as I close this morning. I told you that I believe that there's an, a point to the pressure I believe that the pressure is pointing to something. And Paul is saying that we have this power and this treasure. And then he says in verse 17 and 18, and, and guys, if you would leave that up there for just a minute. We're, I'm going to probably read it a couple of times. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. There's an exclamation mark there. Paul is saying, 
yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs it and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our, our, our gaze. This is answering the question, what do I do when I feel overwhelmed? We fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone. Now, I read this, and when I see that word soon, I think soon. <laughs> soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The pressure turns to glory and power. There, there it is. Back, look, look at it. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, but yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Vastly outweighs them. That, there's the point of the pressure. There's the point of the pressure. Why doesn't God take away the pressure? There it is right there. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. He's doing something that'll make you forget all about the pressure. The pressure that was at one point so crushing. The, the pressure that, that my little daughter was starving to death. That's why she was crying. And now it's not so much pressure anymore because she knows she's going to be fed. God's doing the same thing. He's doing something that will make you forget all about the pressure because he's, he's producing something in you, a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So what do I do when I feel overwhelmed? We don't look at the troubles we can see now. We, we rather, look, look, we fix. We fix, we fix. Because what we're looking at now is broken. We fix our gaze on the things that can't be seen because they'll soon be gone. And it makes me think of Jesus. <laughs> I guess that's good, right? Makes me think of Jesus in, in the garden. Jesus prayed so hard in Gethsemane that his sweat turned to blood. Here comes the Savior of the world, the, the spotless Savior of the world. He's under immense pressure. He's under immense pressure and considers the cross that he's about to endure. He considers all that he's about to have to go through for our shame, the physical punishment that he's about to be subjected to because of, of our shame and our burdens. And so many times, church, so many times, I think that that rather than being the disciples that are, he asked to come there and pray with him while he's feeling this immense pressure, I think we try to join him. We, we go into that garden and we're feeling the pressure that he is taking from us because of the shame. He's considering what he's about to do. He's considering the cross that he's about to take for us, but oftentimes we're trying to carry it too. And the pressure comes, we start to break. We start to break. But Paul is saying, it came, but we're not crushed because there's a power in you. And Jesus, 
he cries out and he, he says, let this cup pass from me. If you, if you didn't think that Jesus was under great pressure, listen to that. He's saying, God, I don't want to do this. Let there be another way. <laughs> but what was said next? He, he, he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, however, I know that there's no other way. Nevertheless, and I can see it, the, the pressure has forced him. He's dropped to his knees and he's saying, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I know it's going to be bad. I feel it. But if this is what it takes... If this is what it takes for the resurrecting power of God to happen, then I'll be, I'll be overwhelmed. <laughs> because I know that I'll be overwhelmed to the point of death, but I know in three days I won't be crushed. Instead, I'll be resurrected because there's a glory that will soon make me forget and God's will be done and out of great pressure came great power came great glory and I think if we let it if we look at things a little differently I think the pressure will do the same thing to us the pressure will stop showing us that we're fragile and instead show us that we're carrying something we're, we're carrying a great power. We don't have to carry a great burden because we're carrying a great power. God doesn't remove the pressure because he's showing us. I've given you something that's going to carry it for you. You're pressed from all sides, but there's something in you that's going to press back out. So what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads.